Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. We are recapping the CUSA Championship game on this episode as we uh, get ready to go on a holiday break here. But first, we have to talk about the way the CUSA season ended, and it uh, did not go as a uh, some of us had hoped just in terms of entertainment value, uh, but we'll get into that. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry with you once again. Eric, how are you shaping up for the holidays, my friend? Man, it is another holiday season. You know, believe it or not, I am much more of a Thanksgiving New Year's person than I am a Christmas person, but I'm trying not to be the Grinch. You know, I'm just being excited. I, I'm, I think the major thing, Joe, that really kind of, you know, has me question is I live in a uh, community that has, you know, has HOA, it's townhomes, and I've just always got these people who, this is my third year here, and they put up Christmas lights in October, and it's just, you know, I'm, I'm sorry guys for those of you who are hardcore Christmas people, and I'm probably sound like the Grinch, but it's just like, it's a little aggressive when I haven't even, you know, stuck my face with turkey, and it's just Christmas lights and Santa and all that stuff, but, um, you know, hey, I guess maybe I'm just down on Christmas because mom isn't buying me gifts anymore, you know, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. I, I can make a strong case for why Thanksgiving is better than Christmas. For one, there's so much less pressure to go like all out. Like you don't, you know, as someone who lives very far away from their family, you don't feel bad for not wanting to go all the way home and spend close to a thousand dollars to fly from one end of the country to the other. Uh, it's much more fun if you can just do it with friends uh, the decorations are far less obnoxious. There's way more sports on the, the food for the most part is better as a savory over sweets person. Thanksgiving gets, Thanksgiving gets a lot of credit as it should, but I, I would contend that I enjoy Thanksgiving more than Christmas. And that's maybe just me, uh, like you said, getting older and realizing I'm not a, I'm not a kid anymore. And I have to actually make the effort to, give everybody else a good holiday when Thanksgiving, I'm just like, I just want to eat and watch football and not be around uh, people who annoy me for the most part. <laughs> Dude, that's exactly what it is, man. Like it's the process of having to worry about what gift to get and all that stuff. And it's just like, man, I just want food and football, <laughs> you know, simple things in life. Exactly. As uh, we entered the season of gift giving, let's talk about the gift that FAU got from the UAB Blazers over the weekend, and that was a COSA championship, about as one-sided of a game as it gets with FAU winning that one 49-6, 585 total yards for FAU compared to uh, 223 uh, for UAB, only 14 first downs for the Blazers. Um, really from what I saw, this was just such a dominant defensive performance by the Owls. And really, when you look at this year as a whole, for as much as we've talked about how good their offense was in 2019, we really should have been giving them a little more credit on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, because when you look at their record, they lead the entire nation in turnovers forced. Um, so really, I guess this game in a nutshell for me at the end of the day, not trying to take away anything from either of these teams, but this was just really boring to watch with how, uh, you know, dominant FAU was against uh, a Blazer team that I expected a little bit better from. Yeah, I'll start with your point about FAU's defense. It's interesting, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit on the podcast, that their numbers are really skewed. 
because of the first couple games of the year. When you play a UCF, you play a Ball State, you play an Ohio State, teams that have high-powered offenses, and especially the UCF game that got out of hand pretty quickly, even the Ball State game where they threw for a ton of yards, that really kind of set the defense behind the eight ball. But when you look at the conference stats, they performed reasonably well. You know, uh, something that may not appeal to you as a Western Kentucky guy, but Ty Story, pretty much the only bad game he had since, you know, really becoming a starter. I mean, he had a couple of pedestrian games when he first took over the job, but only the really one where he really turned over a ton was against FAU. And Miko Dotson led the league in interceptions with nine. If I remember searching correct, it's nine or ten. So, yeah, they did produce a lot of turnovers. I believe they had 31 on the year, and I believe the previous record for FAU was 21. So credit to Glenn Spencer in his first year, and we'll talk about him a little bit later on, but, you know, credit to what he's been able to do with that defense. As far as the actual game, I don't want to be Debbie Downer uh, as far as UAB is concerned. It's not that I thought that UAB was inflated, right? But I do think, and I'll ask you this before I continue, I think we're in agreement. We've touched on on previous podcasts that had Louisiana Tech not had the suspension, that game's probably being played between La Tech and FAU and, and Rustin. Are we in agreement there? Yes, we are. Right. So, you know, it's it's not to say that UAB wasn't a worthy opponent, but they were flawed in the sense that, you know, I, I don't have the number off the top of my head. I know I referenced it in a three thing you learned about CUSA article before. I believe it's six wins that they had this year were against teams with losing records. So it wasn't as if UAB had the toughest road to the conference title, not holding them against them. They did get there, but they just looked like a flawed opponent. You know, when you look at Tyler Johnson, he, I don't want to say he's regressed, but he hasn't necessarily taken that next step. And then you have Dylan Hopkins, who's a younger guy as well, who's going to come in because of injuries at the quarterback position. We've talked about Spencer Brown not being healthy ad nauseum. So this wasn't necessarily the same UAB team that we saw in previous years. Even their star, like a guy like Garrett Moreno, who is a phenomenal defensive player at the nose tackle position, he's not a game changer. You know, he's a guy who's great for his role, but he's not going to affect the game in that you know, regard. And of course, I had forgotten the name of the corner last podcast. Of course, it came to me right after I said the corner was out for the year for UAB. They didn't have a Bronte Harris all year as well. So, you know, when you don't have those types of game changers producing at the high level, FAU just had way too many playmakers and give credit to Elaine Kiffin in his final game at FAU. You know, guys like Malcolm Davidson, Chris Robinson, even though Robinson didn't have the best game, I believe he went 19 or 39, but it's just the playmaking ability. Harrison Bryant, you know, Rashad Smith, Kiki Leroy. There's no doubt that this was the most talented team in Conference USA, in my opinion, and it's why they're the champs. Absolutely. You mentioned the uh, performance by Chris Robinson, not the best day for him. Uh, regardless, still four passing touchdowns for him. And I, I really loved what I saw from him in this game, regardless of that, uh, that completion percentage, because he just had so much fight in his eyes. Like even when he scrambled, like you could tell he just, he wanted this more than anybody else in that field. And that's why uh, as we wait for CUSA uh, postseason awards to come out, I think that's just further evidence why I think he's the uh, offensive player of the year. And frankly, I think when you talk about the kind of energy and the vibe that you want in a starting quarterback, I think that's exactly what you want. It's funny you mentioned that, right? Because you talk about Chris Robinson and the energy and his, you know, kind of that enthusiasm that rubs off on the team. What it just reminds me of when we had Jake Elman on in the preseason, right? What was the number one thing that Jake talked about? You know, for those of you listening, Jake Elman is FAU's beat writer for the Palm Beach Post. And what was the number one thing that he talked about when, you know, kind of determining where the season would go? 
it would be a could Chris Robinson take the next step on the field, but B could he take the next step as a player? You know, we won't get into his off the field issues because those things um, they did turn out in his favor. So you know, we won't you know harp on them and belabor them too much. But it was a matter of could he take the next step and not be that guy who's being suspended from the team twice and earn his team's respect. And you just, I think your point is is one that's really valid because it goes to show. You know, that type of energy rubs off when a guy who really wants it wants to put last year behind him in terms of his uh, freshman year and put the offseason behind him. He did just that. And I do think that Chris Robinson should be, you know, when the postseason awards are announced outside of the first and second teams and things of that nature, honorable mention, when it comes to conference player of the year, I, I honestly think that, you know, and I'm not even a quarterback guy when it comes to that award. I, I would like to see defensive players, guys like Alex Highsmith and D'Angelo Malone, be giving serious consideration for it. But you know, all in a, all things considered, I think Chris Robson was the best player this year in Conference USA. 100%. Um, it, it's crazy to think how, uh, when it comes to this game, how much FAU really uh, dominated, even got a special teams touchdown on a block punt. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about UAB while we're uh, still talking about this game a little bit. Um, you mentioned that, you know, they just have some of these guys who just kind of weren't ready for um, this biggest stage. Um, when you look at that, that quarterback core, um, Dylan Hopkins and Tyler Johnston, uh, both of them still have significant time left Um in their college career, if you had to make a uh, decision now, who do you want leading that team going into 2020? I knew you were going to ask me that, right? It's interesting. <laughs> Tyler Johnson, I think back to last year, my lasting memory of Tyler Johnson is him taking over for A.J. Erdley and performing the way he did in the Boca Raton Bowl, right, which was the long passes down the field to the receiver whose name is escaping me right now who graduated last year. I, I, don't, I can only think of UAB's current receiver, so his name is escaping me. However, Tyler Johnson's very much a boomer bust quarterback, right? You know, we've kind of, at this point, I think we have a solid idea of who he is. I don't believe that necessarily that, that Chris Robinson type of turnaround, or even, for example, a guy like Asher O'Hara, who we thought, you know, needed to progress as a passer, and then you fast forward to the end of the year, and he's one of the better players in the entire conference, or maybe in the nation for that matter. I don't know if that's on the horizon for Tyler Johnson. Maybe, you know, in the offseason, we can have Evan Dudley on, you know, from Alabama.com, and he can kind of elaborate on that further. But I just think that you got to go with the young guy. You know, this is a team that's going to graduate some more talent. Uh, Spencer Brown. I'm going to assume we'll be back next year. He's a junior, but uh, he didn't have the best year. So I, I think he'll be back next year. I think that'll be a nice piece to lean on in addition to the other running backs that are there. There, um, But yeah, I, I would like to see them, or I, I shouldn't say I'd like to. I think they go with the young guy. Uh, I think you have a redshirt freshman, Dylan Hopkins, showing some ability to make plays with his legs as well, you know, more so than Tyler Johnson. So I think that helps as a dual threat quarterback. And I mean, hey, if it's one thing about this UAB program that we know, as long as Bill Clark is there, I think that they're going to be competitive and I don't think they're going away. So, you know, we may look up next year and see them maybe not in the conference title game, but somehow down the road with, you know, seven, eight wins again. And uh, yeah, I, I think that could be, I could definitely be behind the dual threat aspect of Dylan Hopkins. On the flip side of that, when we talk about next year, who on that FAU side that's, we know is coming back really excites you the most. If you had to pick one guy. I, I talked about Jake on this podcast already. You know, this is the second plug I'm going to give him, but he sold me on this guy. Akilis Kiki Leroy. He was a guy who 
I, I knew he was a solid player coming in, right? You know, very athletic. I mean, we knew that in terms of his coverage skills, that he's a guy who, who paired with a Rashad Smith really had a chance to be a talented player. But man, when you look at his numbers overall on the year, it's just phenomenal, especially toward the end of the year when he came on, you know, at the sacks. He had a two interception game as well as to close out the year. Just a really versatile linebacker who maybe even as, you know, blasphemous to quote um, a, a prominent um, sports commentator, as this may be to say, he may even have a higher ceiling than a Rashad Smith or even a Aziz Al-Shair. You know, uh, a, a Leroy, Achilles Leroy had 101 tackles. Uh, I believe he had eight and a half sacks and had a couple of interceptions as well. So, sorry, he had seven and a half sacks and had a, a couple of interceptions as well. So, he's a guy who I'm really excited about. And then, just a couple of quick names on the offensive side. They have, they're, Joe, they're loaded at running back. Uh, mm-hmm. Malcolm Davidson, um, Larry McCammon, BJ Emmons is coming back. You get uh, Frank Gore Jr. is a commit there as well. Um, you have uh, Chauncey Mason, Trey Mason's brother. I mean, they've got a stable of backs. So, they're loaded, man. Like they, they have a lot of talent next year. They're coming back next year, so I don't think FAU will be going anywhere anytime soon. No, it certainly doesn't uh, seem to look that way, even with the coaching change, which we'll get into. Um, but before we do that, uh, do want to kind of make mention of Bill Clark, and while he's done such an excellent job with this Blazer team uh, over the last several years, from bringing the program back to winning the conference title last year to getting to the championship game again this season, um, even with the way that the uh, coaching carousel has already started spinning, uh, no interest from any uh, P5 or you know any other schools with a higher budget really to bring him in. Um, you know, really, I guess like why? Why do you think that is? Because I I know we've talked about Clark moving on to other jobs in the past and the likelihood of that, but at the same time, you would have thought we'd have heard something along those lines for as good of a coach as he is. It's interesting. I'm not 100% sure maybe if there's a belief that maybe it's because he's not the sexy name. I mean, even when you look at Conference USA, you know, you go Lane Kiffin, you go Steph Luttrell. Those are the guys who you think immediately and now Lane's gone. It's no longer part of the conference, but those are the guys you think of immediately. And maybe there's the thought that Bill Clark Listen, I think Bill Clark is a phenomenal football coach. I think he gets the most out of that program. I'm just wondering if maybe there's a thought that they're coaches who are better quote-unquote football coaches and maybe Bill Clark is just the right guy for that job. Also, if my memory serves me correct, Joe, I believe Bill Clark had the chance to leave when the program shut down and was very committed to staying there. So maybe that's scaring off a couple teams as well. Uh, Looking at the job openings that are now available, I wouldn't rule him out at Memphis, you know, provided he is interested in making the step away from UAB because I think that's a natural progression, right? You know, he's a guy who can recruit that area really well. Mike Norvell is no longer there. Uh, you know, he's at Florida state. So I could see that as a natural opening. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Cause I feel like Ole Miss and Arkansas would have been natural jobs as well for Bill Clark. So I think maybe to answer your question, it's a combination of maybe teams don't view him in the same way that we as conference USA guys do. And then also, you know, maybe teams are a little reluctant uh, as to what his level of interest in is in leaving UAB. So I think that could be part of it. Yeah, all uh, all solid points. And uh, Bill Clark's career not done by any stretch of the imagination. I know Blazer fans are looking forward to him being there for a little while longer, at least. Uh, so we'll see how that progresses as uh, he can, uh, you know, very 
obviously lead his team to championships still. He did it uh, last season and almost got it uh, got it again this season. Uh, before we talk too much more about coaches, I know there's one thing that we really need to get into, and that is reviewing CUSA's all-conference teams that came out this week. Um, Eric, I don't know about you, but there's not, there's not too many that I disagree with, but there is one glaring omission who didn't make who didn't make first team didn't make second team didn't make honorable mention and that's a guy that we've talked about a ton this year asher o'hara quarterback from middle tennessee state nowhere on this list and you know given his team's record we talked about how that kind of made it certain that he probably wasn't going to win offensive player of the year or any individual award like that but i thought he would have at least at the very least got an honorable mention or a second team mention or something because you look at the second team, especially there's only one quarterback. It's, it's Mason fine, which fine had a great hit. You know, he had another solid season, but you look at what Asher O'Hara done, something that hasn't been done in a decade and get a thousand yards rushing as a quarterback. That's, I don't know. I, I get that they didn't win very many games, but that's very surprising to me. Before I give my opinion on that, I'm going to ask you, because I feel like we both have the same, in doing this podcast with you for almost you know two years now, I feel like we both are going to say the same name. I'm curious. When you look at the honorable mention quarterbacks that are there, Chris Reynolds, James Morgan, and Jack Abraham, if you had to take one of those guys off, who are you, uh, who are you removing and putting Asher in place of? Uh, you know, to be... Perfectly honest, if I got to pick from those three, I go Morgan. Nothing against the guy. Uh, great young man, great quarterback, but I think his injuries definitely didn't allow him to play at the level that we've seen him uh, do in, in past years this season. So if I had to pick one, I would say Asher O'Hara had a more uh, productive individual season than James Morgan did. Yeah, and listen, you know, obviously as someone who covers FIU, it's not like I don't see J-Mo on a, on a you know, pretty regular basis. J-Mo's a great kid. I mean, can't say, you know, enough about him. He's come on a, this podcast, you know, so thanks for coming on as well. But uh, even to his own admission, I think he would tell you that he didn't have his best year. Now, I think maybe James's strength in terms of making the honorable mention team is the lack of turnovers. And that's the thing that I will, you know, whenever, whenever anyone asks me about James Morgan this year and they try to they try to phrase or frame James within the context of a regression. I would say, yes, the counting numbers may have regressed, but you have to look at the team around him. Obviously, he's taken a step back in the, in the win-loss column. The offensive line took a little while to develop, longer than expected. The you know receivers, not necessarily the same receiving core. And um, I would make the point that James did only have five total turnovers, and that's his, really his biggest strength. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, if he has any more, let's say he doubles that number and has, you know, 10 total turnovers, this team might not make a bolt. So I think that's the biggest argument in terms of how James has been successful this year. But you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you talk about Asher Harris. Not only do he have, uh, you know, a good year passing with over 2,500 yards passing, he was the first quarterback, and like I said, how many years to rush for 1,000 yards as well. So I, I, if I had to pull one name, I, I would – it would be a toss-up between Chris Reynolds and James Morgan and – I guess I would I would have to take James off just because of the win loss column. Now, not that that's not to say that Middle Tennessee State had a better record than FIU. They obviously didn't. But in terms of just the sheer volume of numbers and volume of of production this year, that would be the one name you'd have to you have to consider. So we're in agreement there. Um, but yeah, I, I I definitely was surprised that Ash O'Hara didn't make a list because 
quite frankly, I think if you're heading into next year, I mean, Chris Robinson will be back as a sophomore, and I'm going to assume that he's going to win Player of the Year award. But I, even regardless of that, I might still be tempted to take Asher O'Hara as my, you know, uh, way too early preseason, uh, not even preseason, way too early just overall favorite to be conference player of the year, if not offensive player of the year next year. I mean, that's fair, correct? Yeah, I would uh, I would say that's pretty fair. Um, one more thing from my side about um, just the selection process here. Um, in CUSA, there's only – there's 14 teams. You know how many long snappers got at least all-conference honorable mention this year? I, I saw that. I saw that. There were quite a few. And, hey, you know what? Uh, you can accuse me of being a homer here. I'm going to do it because I know this guy will never get a mention on any podcast or any outlet ever again. Um, Tommy Zosis from FIU has been one of the best long snappers in CUSA since the time he's arrived. Uh, they, the special teams that I can think of on the top of my head had one miscue. That was uh, Holder Alec Hallman, you know, kind of bobbled a snap and ended up throwing an interception on it. But that wasn't, uh, to the best of my knowledge, and maybe I'll have to talk to FIU special teams coach James Bologno, that wasn't on Zosis. And the fact that it seemed like damn near every other long snapper in the conference was mentioned except for Tommy uh, just seemed interesting. So, yeah. Um, hey, I would think, A, if you're going to put that many long snappers on, you know, Zosis should be one of them. But the fact that, like you mentioned, 10 long snappers, that's a lot. Yeah, and five of those alone are on the honorable mention list. And you have five long snappers, but you can't throw one more quarterback on there to you know, give a little credit to a guy who did something that no quarterback in this league has done in a decade. That yeah, that I'm I'm salty about that. I'm sorry. But <laughs> the <laughs> that, the voting overall, I mean, I'll even give you another one, you know, and once again, maybe we're splitting hairs here, but uh Maurice Alexander, you know, the receiver and punt reserve from FIU, he didn't make any of the teams when Maurice, uh, if my memory serves me correct led Conference USA in punt return yards, or at least had more punt return yards than the uh, all-first-team candidate from Marshall, in addition to having a touchdown uh, as well. So it, it did seem like, you know, and once again, the, um, the uh, um, excuse me, the recipient of the first team was Talit Keaton from Marshall, a true freshman. So there's, uh, there's that. But it, it does seem, you know, remember that these are awards that coaches vote on, so uh, you don't know necessarily how many games they're seeing if it's not – their own team um, and things of that nature. But that's just another one that I found interesting. So yeah, definitely some, uh, some nuanced choices there that you could look at and scratch your head. For sure. So other awards that came out this week from COSA, that's the 2019 all freshman team. Um, looking at this uh, first team backfield there, uh, Dylan Hopkins from UAB, Larry McCammon and sincere McCormick at running back along with uh, Jair Shorter and Smoke Harris at the Whiteouts. Um, so I think there's some really good names on this list as far as the freshmen are concerned. A lot of, uh, particularly on the offense, I think there's a lot of good offensive talent coming up in this league. Um, and then even you look at like the line and the tight end, Joshua Simon, I think he has like such an ideal body type for uh, the tight end position. And I feel like Western's had several guys like that come through in the last five to eight years or so. 
So I think, uh, and then of course we we've talked a lot about sincere McCormick and what he brings to that UTSA backfield. And, um, I think he's a really good piece for the roadrunners to build around in the years to come. Uh, but as far as the, uh, the young guns who, uh, who really stood out to you and any notable snubs on the all freshman team? Yeah. So there was a lot of really young talent here that you gotta look at and be like, Hey, for the future of this league is pretty exciting. Dylan Hopkins being one, you know, we talk about sincere McCormick and Larry McCammon. Um, Smoke Harris is a guy who I think is going to be a really talented guy and Jair Shorter playing in those types of offenses that pass the ball. You know, you mentioned Joshua Simon. It's one of the things that we had talked about from the Mike Sanford era that they had talented tight ends uh, and, you know, um, come on now, I'm having a brain fart on the name. McQuan Dean, yeah, and Kyle Fortenberry. And they had really two, uh, two talented tight ends and they didn't sort of get the most out of them. So it's nice to see, you know, that with this regime here, they're able to get the most out of the tight ends. Um, even the offensive line, I mean, Sione Fino is a kid who, from FIU, only played in six games, but the last six games, I mean, he really, you know, a kid out of Texas, you know, so he got a big offensive lineman from that part of the country. He's really made an impact. Um, and even on the defensive side, I look at a guy like Rashad Wisdom, a local kid from San Antonio, so there'll be talent there for, you know, the new regime at UTSA to build around. Just a lot of guys who you got to look at, and it's not just names who you have to fill out an all-freshman list, so we're going to put a guy who had 10 tackles and, you know, maybe got a handful of plays. There actually are guys on this list who really were standouts this year, so definitely excited for the future of the league. Plenty to watch as we look forward to 2020 and beyond with that all-freshman team. Um, but, uh, yeah, with that, please uh, – let me edit that out then – but past the freshmen that we have to talk about in this league, there's also some uh, pretty big names coming into the league from other schools and uh, some other ones kind of transferring out with uh, the dreaded, uh, not Cyber Monday, although it might as well be called that with uh, the transfer portal nowadays. But um, with the uh, you know spinning of the coaching carousel, it seems like players are uh, getting shuffled around more and more. So let's talk about some of the more notable uh, players coming in and out of the league with the uh, transfers being very active. Uh, Trey Harbison coming to Charlotte from NIU. Um, pretty solid season for him up in the MAC. Um, according to the uh, Daily Chronicle, he announced his intent to transfer from NIU uh, just a little bit ago. Um, but, you know, granted, how Ben LeMay's kind of made that rushing offense at Charlotte go for the last couple of years. I feel like it, there won't be uh, too hard of a transition with him coming in. Absolutely. I mean, Trey Harbison was a guy who you look at his numbers at NIU. I remember him from last year, even just, you know, looking at the Mac games and he was really a guy who stood out to me. So you make the point that Benny LeMay has really been the bell cow for that, that offense, you know, in his seasons there. And they're not going to miss people. Trey Harbison, a guy who had back-to-back thousand-yard thousand-yard rushing years in the match. You know, this year ran for just over a thousand yards, ten, ten, and eight touchdowns. His sophomore year, he runs for one thousand thirty-four yards and five scores. So I just think that if he gets the opportunity to be the number one guy, because if my memory serves me correct, Northern Illinois they employ you know really two backs. I know this year uh, they had Jordan Nettles and Marcus Childers. Uh, who Marcus Childers was actually the the quarterback who kind of came in on some rushing plays and Jordan Nettles was the backup running back. But in years prior, there's been a two back system. I, I just really think that if he's going to be able to get the type of carries that Benny LeMay uh, was able to get, I mean, look out, you know, that could easily be a, a candidate for newcomer of the year. So great job there by Will Healy and the staff. I mean, I even remember seeing his announcements, you know, and what they're doing is really fun. You know, I think people are really gravitating towards the club lit, 
the fun atmosphere. Um, although I will say this, those things probably do play best when you're winning. You know, one of the best quotes I heard about Club Lit was from uh, uh, my buddy Shane Marinelli, who I do a, a podcast with down here, who mentioned that uh, when there was just a quiet rumor that Will Healy was potentially in the running for the old Miss job. And he said, yeah, you know, Club Lit's all well in Charlotte when you're winning. Uh, I don't think you're going to be running Club Lit in Oxford, Mississippi. So it, it definitely is a matter of winning and, you know, um, the area you're in. But clearly it's appealing to recruits. So, you know, that's what brought Trey, Trey Harbison back home. 100%. And uh, Will Healy's cup runneth over a little bit as far as uh, what he's getting in this early part of the offseason. Also getting uh, freshman linebacker Derek Boykins from the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um, when you talk about kids who are just pure athletes, this kid – absolutely comes to mind only had three tackles in kind of a garbage time game for South Carolina last year. But um, this is a guy that played wildcat quarterback in high school. So, you know, I think he definitely kind of fits with what Will Healy's trying to do. And hopefully he can kind of find a, uh, find a home, even though he wasn't necessarily a great fit for what Mil- for what Will Muschamp is building up there in uh, Columbia. No, yeah. I mean, when you look at him as a prospect, I mean, coming out and, you know, it all depends on how much validity you put into the old 24-7 sports rankings and whatnot. But just a point of reference, he was a guy who was a high three-star, maybe low four-star type of prospect. So to get that to come back, you know, a guy who was recruited by South Carolina, Clemson, uh, you know, a lot of power five schools, that's a heck of a – I mean, to get that on the defensive side of the ball, to pair with, you know, the offensive talent, Chris Reynolds, Victor Tucker, and if for whatever reason, I mean, I, I his, he's a class of 2019, so it doesn't look like he'll be a, available immediately unless, you know, you can kind of uh, come with a hardship. And he is from Concord, North Carolina, which for those of you who aren't familiar, is pretty much a Charlotte suburb. So, I mean, maybe there's a uh, a hardship that could be put in, but – let's say he's available not in 2020, but in 2021, you're still getting a guy who at least you get him a year acclimated in your system and he gets back home. He's in that environment. That's a stud pickup for Charlotte. So absolutely. Staying on the defensive side of the ball. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, Devontae McCray coming out of East Mississippi Community College, transferred to North Texas, uh, six, six, 255 pounder had four and a half sacks, and four fumbles at the JUCO level last season. Uh, one of the more uh, touted JUCO guys at that position coming into this offseason. Um, he's got three seasons of eligibility remaining. We'll play all of those with Seth Luttrell's squad, it looks like. I got to say, that's a pretty good pickup for a team that really struggled on the defensive side of the ball last year. So definitely getting some uh, some much-needed muscle at that position. Yeah, you know, see, that, that's an interesting one, right? Because Devontae McCray is actually from Miami, Florida. So, you know, it, going heading out to, you know, North Texas being out there in Denton. Now, granted, Denton's right there outside of Dallas. So, you know, you do kind of have that big city atmosphere close by. But going from Miami to Denton, that is a uh, um, a unique transition, despite the fact that he was uh, at the JUCO level as well. But just as far as him on the field, I mean, he's a highly regarded guy. He was a four-star prospect coming out of Miami as well. Um, and the the, uh, the prep rankings, I mean, he was recruited by P5 schools. And I think where he's going to make the biggest impact is – North Texas is already going to lose a guy in Ladarius Hamilton, who we know the defense had struggles, but Ladarius Hamilton, you know, a guy who makes CUSA honorable mention, a solid defensive player, you know, in all of his time, that's one that they're going to lose. So you pick up a Juco who probably can step in. I mean, here are some of the schools he was recruited by Mississippi state, Arizona, Colorado. And that's just in, in terms of his Juco 
uh, level. I know he had a couple P5 offers as well coming out of high school. So I think that one is big, especially like you mentioned off the top. Defense has been a really big issue. So if you can get a good pass rusher, that's always a good start. 100%. Uh, definitely something to contend with in the uh, tough offensive lines that North Texas seems to regularly find itself up against. And then uh, let's head back to the uh, state of Kentucky where we have uh, Joshua Samuel, WK running back, entering the transfer portal this week. Uh, not super surprising for me. He was a Mike Sanford recruit who uh, didn't really get some amazing minutes or carries when he was uh you know contending for the first team uh the last couple of years and then with the emergence of uh gage walker this season um you know it's kind of hard to kind of show up a guy who was doing what what walker was able to do coming in from uh, the defensive side of the ball yeah it's interesting right because we talked about all freshmen here for a second and josh samuel was a guy who was all freshman last year you know he ran for 639 yards on 121 carries you did mention being a Mike Sanford guy, and I'm sure that played a role as well. But it's interesting. When I talked to Elliot Pratt when Western Kentucky came to FIU in the press box, one of the questions I had for him was, what happened to Josh Samuel? And he said, you know, flat out, it was just a matter of Gage Walker just beat him out. You know, they flipped Gage Walker to running back, a position he played in high school. Actually, ironically enough, from here in Tampa, Florida, East, La, East Bay High School. And he just happened to, you know, hit the ground running. And I think those things kind of happen in football where you get that magic combination of A, a new coaching staff, and B, a guy who maybe was not slotted at the best position for him personally, and he gets back to his natural position, and, you know, a guy gets a spot taken. But I think Josh Samuel is definitely, A, he's a guy who, at the bare minimum, he should have G5 schools coming after him. I don't think, you know, he'll necessarily have to go down a level to play. But I, I do think he's a solid running back. I think maybe even, you know, a fringe P5 could look at him as well. But the number one thing outside of that that really just kind of surprised me overall was that he didn't even really get the number two carry. And I don't have Josh Samuels' numbers in front of me right now. But I guess I was just surprised how far he had fallen on the depth chart. I want to say he had something like 25 carries, uh, something like that. I know he, he couldn't have had more than 120 or 130 yards rushing. So just how far he had fallen in that regard was surprising. But, yeah, all things considered, I, I think it, it's a move that you can't be shocked by, and um, he should find a home. I'm pulling up his numbers right now. He, uh, Okay, yeah, I, I said <laughs> I, I said 125. Uh, maybe I was a little high on that. You know, un unless I'm looking at a number that's mistaken here, Joshua Samuel on the year, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, had six carries for 17 yards. So – Clearly, he was on the way out the door. Yeah, I mean, when you look at stat lines like that, it makes these things pretty easy to predict. Um, and when there's, you know, when a position is just too crowded, it definitely isn't a player's best interest, I think, to go somewhere where they can at least get the, you know, get some playing time and then maximize their amount of time at the college level. So um, with that, then we have uh, the transfer section of this show rounded up, unless there's anybody else that, uh, that really comes to mind for you, Eric. But I think that was all that I've seen so far in terms of, uh, you know, the monster that is the transfer portal, taking all the, uh, taking all the good names away from these teams. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, really quick before we, we transition away from it, there, there are no other names that I have, but I when the transfer portal initially became a thing, I was all in favor for it, and I still am, because I think you know guys should have the ability if it doesn't work at one school to you know freely transfer and, and see if there's another option. You know I'm all for necessarily um, 
a college football version of free agency. However, Butch Davis did say this to me after practice a couple weeks ago, and I don't believe his number is correct, but the sentiment of his point is correct. He had said there was something like 3,000 players went to the transfer portal. And like I said, I don't believe that number is correct because I just don't have it sourced out. But the sentiment that there are way too many guys in the transfer portal to, you know, than there are homes and scholarships. And that's something that I find interesting. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that, Joe, because I think, you know, hey, if you or I decide we want a new job tomorrow, we have free will to go search for one. We, there may not necessarily be a home for us, and that's something that college kids you know, may have to learn the hard way. But I just wonder if maybe there's some guys who are kind of getting some, I don't want to say bad advice, but maybe they're thinking like, hey, you know, transfer portal, it's the cool kids are doing it, so I'm going to jump in there, and you know, they end up you know, left out in the cold. Oh, 100%. Like like you, I too am in favor of the existence of the transfer portal and um, for the most part, guys being able to go anywhere they want and, and get you know the playing time they deserve. But yeah, at the same time, at some point you got to learn that lesson of, yeah, you can go anywhere you want. That doesn't mean it's going to be a better fit or it's going to work out. I've definitely learned that lesson once or twice in, in my professional life. Um but you know, it's just it's one of those things where, yes, your first impression may be correct, and it's not going to be a good fit for you. But also, there's there's also times where stuff doesn't immediately work out. But if you stick with the you know the, maybe the first initial bumps in the road, then it is going to open up to more playing time, or your record will improve the next season, or. Uh, you know, something like that. Sometimes these guys get um, fed up with being too far from home and they need to go closer, but, and then sometimes they stay a little bit and they find their, you know, their friends or whatever. So I think it just kind of comes down to like, you know, it's a double-edged sword that I'm kind of in favor of us using at the moment as a, you know, as a college football society. But yeah, there's, there's always going to be kind of a negative side of this if if guys, uh, you know, don't make informed decisions. Uh, a quick note, I know we said we were done with transfers and one just came across, not necessarily a transfer, but a guy was deciding to stay. It literally just came across my screen as we're doing this podcast. I didn't even know it was really a consideration. I guess we should have thought and, you know, talking about coaching changes and whatnot, it was something that maybe could have been a, uh, could have been a consideration. But um, at Old Dominion, uh, Hayden Wolf has announced that he will stay. So I, it's something that I guess I hadn't even considered thinking that, you know, their new coach is an offensive-minded guy. Um, but he just announced on Twitter and then Harry Minimum just wrote on OldDominionSports.com that Hayden Wolf will stay at Old Dominion. So at least there's one guy who's staying in conference, and that's good to see because he's a really young, uh, talented quarterback who I think the best years ahead of him are, are – the best years are ahead of him. You want to see those in Conference USA. Oh, yeah. 6'5", 215 pounds. This guy absolutely has like – the body and I think he's got a pretty decent skill set to play D1 uh, quarterback. But, you know, like we mentioned a couple of times, that offensive line did not do him any favors at all this season. So, uh, yeah, good to see he's going to stick it out there for at least another year and uh, try to see if he can't get that team back to a, a winning, um, you know, what do you call it, tradition? Sure. Winning tradition there at Old Dominion. So um, interesting way to uh, cap off this uh, transfer session here. And one thing that I was actually thinking about when you asked me about the transfer portal, and I don't think we'll ever get this, but I think it would be interesting to see in college football. On the basketball side, you have uh, um, this thing where guys can test the draft waters by going to the, you know, going to these 
um, you know, combine workouts and all that and trying to test yeah. the waters as long as they don't sign an agent. I'm wondering if there will ever be, there probably won't be, but if there will ever be uh, kind of a, a way for guys to enter the transfer portal and see if there's any place, you know, else they could go for the rest of their college career without permanently giving up their roster spot. It's interesting you mentioned that, right? And I would love to see that. Uh, a guy who comes to mind, for example, is former FIU defense on Furman Silva, who when I asked Butch Davis at the beginning of this year if there was any way that Furman could come back, Butch just said that, you know, it, it wasn't really in the cards. It wasn't possible. And what I think he was getting at, and I, I hate to kind of put words in coach's mouth, but I, I believe essentially is that there just wasn't a roster spot for him in terms of a scholarship left. But the reason, and for those of you listening at home, and are maybe curious why that really isn't feasible per se at the, with the football and, and with college football as opposed to college basketball is just because of the sheer number of roster spots and the fact that things move so quickly, you know, with college basketball, you got 15 players, you know, it, sure. It, it, if you want to move a guy um, or if you want to keep a spot for a guy, it's a little bit easier than opposed to having, you know, a hundred roster spots and 70 something scholarships. And once one guy leaves, you know, there's just a, there's so many guys behind him who are ready to take his spot. And then B you're going to move on to try to find someone who can fill that spot from the recruiting ranks. Yeah. So transfer portal, just a uh, crazy beast. And uh, as the legislations keep changing throughout the country. Definitely going to see it evolve more and more. Uh, so something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Uh, but with that, we'll go ahead and start wrapping up this episode of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. As we say every week, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, it's just such a fun thing that we get to do. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really helps the show grow. Uh, subscribe if you haven't already. That way you get new episodes as soon as they come out. And uh, keep coming back to underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football content. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. And, of course, at Underdog Dynasty uh, and like Underdog Dynasty on Facebook as well. Happy football watching, everybody. Safe travels for the holidays if you're going home. We'll talk to you again soon.